Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Great Gatsby. The Great Gatsby was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald and was published in 1925. And the film adaptation came out in 2013, directed by Baz Luhrmann. And it's the 20s again, guys. Yeah, we gotta celebrate. Things are... Definitely better than back then, right? Like, <laughs> sure, yeah. The Valley of Ashes is definitely not like ninety-five percent of the world now, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and this was also a request by one of our patrons, Christine. Yes. So, really excited to do this one because it's probably the most famous American novel of all time. Yes, the great American novel. Yes, many arguably. Would say. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I won't pass judgment on that myself. No, no, that doesn't Um, speak for me, but. But yeah, so it's really cool to get to do this one because it is so famous. And also it's almost a hundred years old now, which is kind of wild to think about. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into this. It's, it's the twenties and our, our narrator, our, you know, arguably main character, but I guess more so the, the perspective that we're getting through of the story is Nick Carraway. Yes. And the movie actually already shakes things up right off the bat Mm -hmm. because we are introduced to uh, an older Nick who is in a sanitarium. Yes, which is a fancy, like, detox slash uh, recovery place. And he's disillusioned with the world. Mm -hmm. And you can tell because he has a five o'clock shadow. (laughs) And he's, like, pushing his hair back aggressively. (laughs) Exactly. He's talking to this, like, psychiatrist, and it's this whole thing. And basically, he's talking about his life in New York in the 20s. And I guess we're supposed to believe that the 20s are over now, or maybe, like, most of the events have passed. I I don't know. I forget where I read this, but I think this takes place seven years after the events of the story. Okay. I think is roughly when it's supposed to fall into, so. Yeah, and then his doctor is like, well, why don't you stop telling me about it because I hate you and just (laughs) write about it instead. (laughs) The doctor has one of my favorite lines where when he first mentions Gatsby, the doctor's like, who's that? He's like, how can I even begin to describe Gatsby? He was a man of, uh, you know, vigor and blah, blah, blah. I met him upon the blah, blah, blah. blah. And he mentions like him being next door. And at one point the doctor's like, so he was, he was your neighbor. Like you could have just said he was your neighbor. (laughs) He's like, clearly you have a lot to get out. Why don't you write it down? Yeah. So it's this whole bit where Nick is like kind of the author and is supposed to be sort of like a stand in for Fitzgerald a bit where he's writing this story um, and is like, oh, get it? Because, like, I'm an alcoholic. Get it? Because Fitz- <laughs> Fitzgerald was a raging alcoholic. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, a recent adaptation we talked about that did a similar thing was Little Women, where the character of Joe... Becomes it, kind of the author. The surrogate author, kind of, like, in a historical way. Like, more is added to that character based on the author. Yeah. Uh, so Nick begins recounting... His tragic tale of partying and like living the life. Oh, poor him. And we, you know, and this is where the book picks up where he's a young man in his late 20s, I believe. Yeah. And he moves out east to West Egg, which is 
near New York City, yeah, essentially. It's a fictional neighborhood on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And so he and it, it's kind of like, even though it's like the poorer of the two eggs. <laughs> you know, West Egg, East Egg. The eggs. North Egg. <laughs> uh, even though it's like the poorer of the two, it's still like very affluent. Mm-hmm. And Nick is kind of like, he manages to get this like house renting there, which is like. Okay. Yeah, like he doesn't really belong there. So it's kind of this weird fish out of water thing where he's like, I don't know how I got this place, but here I am. Nick's place in society is sort of uncertain Mm -hmm. to us because his cousin is very wealthy. Yeah. And he went to like an Ivy League school um, and his family seems to be well connected, but he's also like clearly not making a lot of money. Yeah. And he has a job as like working in bonds in the city. So yeah, it's just like kind of unclear whether he comes from like a good family and is just sort of poor right now, or if he is sort of like lower in the class stratosphere because he is kind of accepted into some higher class circles. He is, although it is worth saying this movie does position him as being more like out of his depth. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, you're a poor good for nothing yeah. Midwesterner. And we don't really get any of that in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so Nick is our main character. He is neighbors with Gatsby, even though he is unaware of this at this point. Yeah. And there's something interesting too, about this, this adaptation in terms of it taking place in the twenties. Yeah. Because the book was written in the time it's in. Yeah. So it was published in 1925 and gets, or not Gatsby, Fitzgerald, <laughs> um, kind of, you know, saw the events taking place in like 1922. So very early in the 20s. And it's very much a book about like its time alone. So it's not reflecting, really. I mean, it is. Yeah. In some ways, but it's not like, oh, yeah, remember those times. It's sort of like this is the time. It is. Yeah, because I think the book to so many people captures that time so completely i don't want to say completely as if like that was the world and everyone was partying and raging or anything uh but it captured a moment in that time so perfectly that i think most people when you think about it you think it was written like retrospectively yeah and kind of like reflecting on things but really it was in the middle of it Mm -hmm. and so sometimes little details and things in the book uh aren't explained exactly given context because he didn't need to give context when writing it Mm -hmm. um because it was happening so one thing that ian and i both like kind of missed when we were reading the book was that there's a scene where um two characters go to a speakeasy yeah and it's super clear that it's a speakeasy in the movie because they're like going behind a secret door and like it's very shady and stuff but in the book they're just kind of going to get lunch And then it's only later when you're like, wait, it's the prohibition. And there was a waiter serving them drinks. Yeah. So they wouldn't be able to do that at a regular restaurant. Whereas in the book, it'd be like, well, if they're drinking, obviously they're at a speakeasy or somewhere. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, but for us, until we watched the movie, which is much more overtly like there's a secret entrance and it's kind of this club joint area that we're like, oh, okay, that clicks a little bit more. And I think you can kind of get like an over dramatization mm-hmm. when you're looking back on that time now. Yeah. Because 
there's this tendency to want to like really overblow everything. And I know it was like an age of like excess and lavishness and kind of like partying, but also like, I feel like the book is like that, but it's still kind of subdued. Yeah, it really, it feels like it takes place, you know, them getting liquor, like in the movie, you know, we get more context of like prohibition was going on, but that, but that made the liquor even cheaper and things had backfired. And like, now it was like even more of a, yeah, we have Nick's voiceover, like explaining it to us. Yeah. When, if you were living at the time, it would just be like, well, yeah, there's still liquor. Yeah. You know, it would be like a non thing Mm -hmm. kind of. So yeah. And I feel like the movie really has this flavor of like, this was the time and like they were so not innocent, but they were so unaware of like what was to come mm-hmm. in terms of like, oh, the stock market crashing. So yeah. like there's a lot of scenes of like Nick who works in like bonds on Wall Street, like the like excesses of that and how like the market was just like free flying and there was like no control and nobody worried about it. And like there was just money. And then also talking about corruption too, like the whole prohibition thing and like Mm -hmm. the police being crooked and that kind of, it it definitely feels like they're like, these are themes that are going to come up like later in history. And we all know about them. Yeah. So like, but these dumb idiots like don't (laughs) know yet that they're partying and the party's soon going to be over. Like world war one just ended. Everybody is like, cool. Nothing ever will happen again. That's bad. That was the war to end all wars. And like, You know, we all know that World War II is coming up as well Mm -hmm. as the Great Depression. So I don't know. I can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just different. It is absolutely like it is helpful in some ways. Like for us, we got like a slightly better context to certain scenes and elements. But I also like reading about it in the moment. Yeah. And how amazingly kind of metaphorical and predictive the story was like the party literally coming to an end Mm -hmm. by the end of the book and kind of like foreshadowing f scott fitzgerald basically being like this can't keep going yeah you know so yeah all of that is just uh i think part of what has made this such an enduring novel in so many ways Mm -hmm. uh but in the story uh Nick travels from West Egg across the bay to East Egg to visit his cousin, Daisy, and her husband, Tom Buchanan, who are two very affluent, rich, wealthy people. Not only rich, but like uh, high social connections. Yeah. So like they come from good families. They have this like old money type mm-hmm. thing, you know, like real money. musty, like smells like <laughs> mildewy, you know, like yeah. old as fuck. Yeah. Just stacked up in the basement <laughs> in piles. Uh, yeah. So we were introduced to them. Daisy. Oh, and we were also introduced to Jordan as well, who is a friend of Daisy's. And in this early scene, you know, we meet them. There's there's a dinner together. And so here we should probably mention at least a little bit about the style of this movie. Yeah. Because my God, I haven't seen a movie with this much style thrown in your face. Right at the beginning. So much. Yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah. And it's very disorienting. It's like, it has a lot of CGI. Mm-hmm. Not only like in terms of like the effects, but a lot of the background shots are clearly CGI. Yeah. And it's, It's like so obvious. Yeah. And then like a lot of the coloring feels off too. Like it feels extra vibrant. 
Mm-hmm. And then the shots in some scenes are like happening super fast. Yeah, there is a weird like high frame rate, things moving like weirdly smoothly where it feels kind of quick. It's kind of disorienting. And in the beginning, it especially was like throwing me off because I was like not used to the movie yet. And I was like, what's happening here? Like, I don't know what it is, but I know that something is wrong. Well, it's also very aggressive with it at the beginning, like between the different shots and transitions and Something I kind of had, like, I remembered the movie being stylistic in that way, uh, but something I'd totally forgotten about was that when it came out, this was, like, 3D, them really plugging 3D in Mm -hmm. in movie theaters. And this was, like, a big 3D movie event at the time. Yeah. And it's so obvious watching it now. Like, so many of the the shots that, like, pull back in 3D space to, Mm -hmm. like, show a location uh, there's points when Nick is writing and like the words are floating around yeah. the screen and just like so much needlessly excessive CGI that when you watch it now, you're just like, why was this choice made? But in the context of like, oh, well, if these words were supposed to be flying <laughs> at my fucking face, like <laughs> I see why. Yeah. Remember when 3D was like a thing? <laughs> remember? Well, remember when they tried to make it a thing? They tried to make 3D a thing. Man, if you bought a 3D TV, Oof. that would suck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so we meet Daisy and Tom. And I think Ian, you had a bit that you wanted to read. About Tom. Yeah. So what's (laughs) funny is that like Tom is kind of the first person described. Nick isn't really described. No. Physically in the story. And honestly, everyone's kind of described in a really excessive way like this. Uh, Tom isn't the only one, but he was the first. And when I first read it, I'm like, man, Nick is absolutely bisexual (laughs) and he is thirsty for Tom. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. So... Uh, And Tom Buchanan in riding clothes was standing with his legs apart on the front porch. He had changed since his New Haven years. Now he was sturdy, straw haired man of 30 with a rather hard mouth and a supercilious manner. Two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leaning aggressively forward. Not even the effeminate swank of his riding clothes could hide the enormous power of that body. He seemed to fill those glistening boots until he strained the top lacing, and you could see a great pack of muscle shifting when his shoulder moved under his thin coat. It was a body capable of enormous leverage. A cruel body. That body. <laughs> I just read it. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Nick. Um, I mean, other characters, Daisy and Jordan, are all described in like their physicality and like yeah. how hot they are, essentially. So like <laughs> rate them on a scale of one to ten of hotness. I mean, Tom sounds like he's at a one. Uh, I mean, like up or ten, whatever the. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it sounds like everyone's a 10, essentially. Yeah, everyone's hot. Yeah, at least out of the main cast. And I'm surprised Nick wasn't like, also, I was pretty good looking too, you know? Just (laughs) saying. But so, yeah. And this is another moment where, like, there's a scene where, like, curtains are billowing in to the room. In the movie. It's just, like, wild. Yeah, and then, like, Daisy and Jordan are, like, laughing, like, ha, 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 ha. It's like very like weirdly uh, sexy. Like you would just, expect to see them like uh, naked, like trying to cover themselves, like ooh, ooh, ooh. 
(laughs) (laughs) or something like that. I love that sound. It's so weird. It is. And like Tobey Maguire. Okay. I just have to like address. He tries. He does. And he's not bad. No. And like he does bring like a fish out of water goofiness but also like he just looks so dopey he is so dopey. like like his stiff straw hats yeah. and like his sweaters and shit he's like silly grins <laughs> yeah he's just like so kind of weirdly awkward throughout the whole movie but yeah. it's funny <laughs> so uh daisy is nick's cousin and then Nick also went to college with Tom, so he kind of knows both of them. And then we meet Jordan, who is a childhood friend of Daisy and is a professional golf player. Yes. And we find out early on. Also, Daisy has a child. That is the it last. It won't come up at all. It will not come you up You don't again. need to remember that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, Daisy is a kid. And, like, you just find out pretty quickly that Daisy, first of all, you find out Tom has... A mistress who's calling during dinner and just him and Daisy are not happy together. No. They're kind of miserable. And in fact, Daisy has a scene with Nick where she says that she hopes her daughter grows up to be a fool Mm -hmm. because that's the best thing a woman can be in this world is a fool. Yeah. Yeah. You get the sense pretty early that Daisy is definitely a product of her time and also of her station in life. Yeah. And doesn't really feel that she can escape from that. And is really pretending a lot. And that this world is kind of full of a lot of pretending. And Nick himself sort of prides himself on not being someone who pretends. So it is sort of weird, his interactions with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, What happens next? Tom's like, hey, bro, I know that your cousin is my wife. But what if I introduce you to my mistress? (laughs) Yeah, so... This is a okay, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot here. Uh so there he's with Tom and they Tom like spontaneously jumps off the train like at a stop when it's in the Valley of the Ashes. Yes. And the Valley of the Ashes is a very important location it's in this story. It's a very symbolic place. <laughs> where the eyes of God watch all. Yes, the eyes of uh, Dr. Eckelbridge? Eckelberg? Eckelberg? Yeah. TJ Eckelberg? It's an optometrist. His eyes are on a billboard and they are watching the fuck out of you. Yeah. You better not do anything because he's <laughs> fucking watching. <laughs> the eyes of the optometrist. Yeah. So obviously, this is like a very. It was a real location It like in New York City at this time. Basically, just like. All the shit from all the factories and just everything was just like thrown in this one area. They're and like, oh, we need somewhere to put this. Yeah. And it's also very weirdly like unclear, like how many like people live here. Yeah. Like, is this a place where people live? Like there's the gas station. And, and then there's like a cafe or a restaurant or something. Yeah. And like the movie portrays it as being pretty sparse and like barren, like no one's really there. But but. Uh, Tom's mistress is uh, Myrtle. Myrtle. I keep wanting to call her Meredith. It's Myrtle. <laughs> and uh, Tom is banging her on the side. She's married also. Yes, to a mechanic and gas station attendant uh, named George Wilson. Yeah. And he seems to be very dumb because he doesn't know that his wife is cheating on him. Yeah. 
I had a problem with this because in the book, he's just seemed as like being like maybe naive and kind of like a simpleton in terms of like not seeing what's right in front of him. The movie leans much more into him like being like mentally handicapped. Yeah, there's something weird going on in the movie. Yeah, it's like hard to say exactly how much, but like obviously given the events by the end of the book, like I kind of don't like that angle of it. No. You know what I mean? But so they show up. Tom is like, yo, Nick, meet my mistress. Let's go to a hotel. Let's party. Well, it's not even a hotel. It's their secret apartment in oh, New that's York right. City. Yes. So like Tom and Myrtle have this apartment that they only use like when they're banging. Yeah. It's not even like, oh, he's a mistress who he's buying an apartment yeah, for. Yeah. Like she doesn't even live there. Just get a hotel. And they're like, oh, let's get a dog for the apartment. And I'm like, who's watching the dog? <laughs> like who is yeah. who's watching the dog? It kind of implies that like her sister might live there when they're not there. Mm. Um. But that's weird. It's super weird. Yeah. <laughs> they just kick the sister out like, hey, we're here. We're banging. Yeah. Which, by the way, there is a part where like. That is a great part in the movie. When they get there, Nick is just like in the living room and he's just can hear them having sex in the bedroom. Yeah. Uncomfortably. And like the book like implies it. Yeah. But the movie's just much funnier with him like having to listen to it. And being like, uh, can I go now? <laughs> And he's about to leave when, like, other party goers show up. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's weird. In the book, this party feels super dumb and boring. Yeah. And, like, no one's really having that good of a time. And it's just kind of, like, depressing. Yeah. But the movie is like, this shit is dope. This is fire. Let's like <laughs> let's, let's pop, play a bunch of like music. Let's play some Jay Z in yeah. here. Let's pop some champagne, and it's like, which I get to an extent because like Nick is being like introduced into this world more yeah. so. So you don't want to like start him off with like, hey, let's go right to the pits. <laughs> it's a huge bummer. It's super depressing. Everyone's trying to fill the empty hole inside their hearts with like booze and women, and no one's succeeding. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I get the movie taking that approach with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's talk here briefly about Nick as a narrator and a character. Yeah. So the whole idea of having this like narrator telling a story is not new. Like it's in a lot of books where it's this person who's kind of like involved in the story, but also not involved in the story. Yeah. So they're involved enough to care about telling you the story but not involved enough to be, like, one of the principal players of the drama. No. Like, if Nick wasn't there, all of this probably would still have happened. Pretty much, yeah. Um, And I, I'm honestly not a fan of that device. Me neither. In As, fiction. It's, like, it's very infuriating. Because, you're like, you're experiencing the world through this character, essentially. Yeah. But his lack of any motivation or opinion or anything is like infuriating and like having no stake really in anything that happens. And I do think that Fitzgerald tries to make Nick more involved than some other characters. Like he's very like connected to Gatsby and cares about Gatsby and everything. Yeah. But like, he's just not really a main part of the story. And I'm like specifically thinking of Wuthering Heights and how much I hate the narrative devices in that book. Mm. Cause it's like, Oh, it's told by the maid and she's telling it to like another person that's like completely not involved. Mm. So yeah, it just like really separates you from the characters. And I think that might be a choice of the author. I think it is, but I think it's, 
comes with like natural frustrations because like in the story, uh, like when Nick first meets Tom for the first time in ages, Tom goes on like a brief like racist rant. Yeah. And Nick just fucking like the most anyone does is makes like a sarcastic remark and like rolls their eyes. Yeah. And then like the next scene, Nick is hanging out with Tom again and I'm like, tell him to fuck off. Like if he really doesn't agree with what he's saying, Mm -hmm. he should like fucking say something or else now I have a bad opinion about him. Yeah. And then this scene, uh, you know, Tom and Myrtle's secret apartment, like Tom ends up breaking Myrtle's nose. Yeah, he Which punches is her right minimized in the, face. in the movie. It's it's more like a slap um, in the movie. Yeah, but like he literally breaks her nose because she dares to mention Daisy's name to him, and like Nick again is like pretty silent on any judgment or any thoughts on this. So it's just like, eh. He's more just like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I should leave now. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, dude, you suck. Like, the fact that he continues to keep, like, hanging out with Tom despite all this shit. And, like, he's now, like, kind of complacent or, you know, in terms of, like, this dude's cheating on your cousin. Yeah. And you're just like. Whatever. Not going to say anything. You're going to keep hanging out with him. You know, it's like. And you could argue that this is like all of a very purposeful narrative choice to like, you know, because I've also read that like, you know, Nick may not be the most, um, he may position himself as being like not really involved in the story, but he is. Yeah. And there are things to that that I'll probably mention later, but like he may have more stakes involved than he like might admit. Yeah. And you know, all of this might be intentional um, you know, he might not be a very reliable narrator, you know, in a way. I don't think he is in a lot of ways because he talks a lot about all the people around him and then positions himself as like very honest yeah, and truthful. He talks about that a lot, but there are like multiple examples of him not being truthful and being dishonest and kind of lying to himself about stuff and criticizing others. And not choosing to criticize himself for, like, similar choices. So, yeah, I don't know. He's just, he's also just, he's just not likable. You know what I mean? Like, other characters in the story are complicated, like Gatsby. Yeah. But, like, have other qualities to them that you find admirable and that you like. So, like, even if he is, like, not perfect. Uh, Nick, I just feel like you only see, like, his negative qualities. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it just, like makes me very tired about him and like i know not all characters need to be good yeah or likable but you need in some way to be able to relate to them or else you're just like fuck this dude mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how i feel about nick overall in the story there's a great line in the movie that's not in the book where tom says to nick uh i know you like to watch i remember that from college <laughs> yeah <laughs> just because like, i'm like Hmm. <laughs> How deep does Tom How did and did you watch in college? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did really like that kind of tongue in cheek comment. Like it was very well executed. It was very funny. Yeah. Uh, so after this, like just depressing, dumb party, it's it's really Nick's like introduction to like this partying lifestyle and atmosphere. But and drinking and drinking. <laughs> uh, so. But then we get to Gatsby's first party. Yeah, he's like, okay, small potatoes. Now I'm going to go to Gatsby's party (laughs) and get super drunk. Get plastered. 
And this for me in the movie is where the uh, CGI over the top uh, stylization. Yeah, it works the best. I agree. Because this is where it makes the most sense is kind of like in this over the top, like being overwhelmed by this party and this lifestyle and like seeing everything. And Mm -hmm. my biggest gripe is just like this style carries over into every scene in the movie, like every quiet scene, every like sad scene, like it's overly stylistic. And so like this scene where it should stand out doesn't. That's a good point. You know, like if there were more quiet moments, like if Nick's house, which is a stupid fucking fairy tale bullshit looking house, like in the woods, uh, that's like supposed to be dumpy, but is like, of course, quaint and beautiful and perfect. Yeah, it looks like fucking elves live there. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like if that was a more realistic environment, like quieter, if there were more quiet moments, less 3D stylized things, then I think the parties and the metaphor of the style in those parties would be much better utilized. I agree because in the book, they do feel wild and crazy. And there is that contrast in the book Mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh my God, there's all these people doing all these crazy things and all these people that don't know each other and don't know Gatsby and are just like, here to party. Yeah. And yeah. just doing doing what they do. People just showing up. And Nick is invited to the party by Gatsby, but he's never met him. And he keeps hearing all these rumors at the party. Uh like, oh, did you know that uh Gatsby is related to a German prince or the Kaiser? Or no, I heard he was a spy. Um, and oh no, he was actually like an assassin. Yeah. Number one myth is that he killed a man. Yeah. And I'm like, what? you were all in the war. Yeah. I'm you like, all killed a lot of men. I'm like, he probably did, but also most of you probably did. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know why that one out of all of them, like there's no context, just like he killed a man Yeah. for no reason. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, all these, like, that's like Nick's first, like, introduction in a way is through all the rumors about Gatsby yeah and then he's totally thrown off when he actually meets the man because mm-hmm. he's very kind of chill subdued very friendly mm-hmm. young like almost like a little bit older than Nick but not much yeah and we get that very gifable moment in the movie <laughs> where DiCaprio cheers yep. champagne to fireworks mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Old sport. Old sport. <laughs> the old sport count in this movie was in the 50s. Was it? Yeah. Okay. According to one thing I read. I thought it was actually going to be higher. Yeah. But I admire their commitment to how much. To old sport. To old sport. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that in both the book and the movie, it takes us so long to meet Gatsby. Yeah. Yeah. As it's- kind of like a device. It's like they're hyping Gatsby. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the end of the first act leading into the second is yeah. when Gatsby finally arrives and is introduced. And like, I like the movie. We get glimpses of like his hand holding back a curtain. Yeah. Or kind of like these like vague. Illusions. You know, yes. Uh, but so, yeah, so Nick's like once again completely swept off his feet. Yes. By another man. Hashtag. Uh, bisexual Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is totally bisexual. Yeah, absolutely. If is. not just straight up gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, lunch? Lunch. Time for lunch? Time for lunch. Nick and Gatsby. Uh, get go lunch. Out, get, get lunch together. Yeah. They go out in. Just two friends. 
getting lunch. <laughs> it doesn't mean more than that. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Get off their backs. They're just getting lunch. Going to a secret club. Yeah. Like a secret place for men getting lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they take Gatsby's like souped up car. These are other moments in the movie that are super overly af- af- like created with computer yeah. generated imagery, like the cars racing through the totally real cities yeah. <laughs> <laughs> down totally real Avenue. <laughs> um, and this is where we start to like find out a little bit more about the quote unquote true Gatsby. Yeah, he's like really kind of intense being like, oh, yeah, I went to Oxford. Oh, yeah, I did this thing. Like, I was a decorated war hero. And Nick is immediately like, oh, this is all bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. why would this any of this be true? But then Gatsby actually shows him some physical evidence um, to prove his claims. And so then Nick is like, I feel like he swings in two opposite, like, positions immediately he's like wow this is all lies and then Gatsby shows him like one picture and he's like oh everything he says is true I love him yeah he really swings both ways (laughs) (laughs) is what we're saying (laughs) so this is where they go to the speakeasy that we didn't quite realize was a speakeasy when we were first reading the book yeah and Gatsby introduces Nick to an acquaintance of his uh Wolfshine Wolfshine thank you Mm mm-hmm who is an older Jewish gentleman who uh, Nick finds out is kind of a um, he's a gambler, but like probably more than a gambler too, like just kind of like a corrupted, shady kind of I want to say mob Mm -hmm. member, but kind of something like that. Yeah. And he has this connection with Gatsby. And uh, so really interesting historical context um, Wolfsheim's character was actually based on a real person. Really? Yeah. So this person's name was Arnold Rothstein. Mm. And he was a infamous, like, gangster. Really? In the 20s. And the comment about him fixing the World Series was something that actually happened. I wondered that because, like, that's a very specific thing to say. Like, yeah. oh, the 1919 World Series. And <laughs> yeah, because there was an investigation. Yeah. Um, they never proved anything with him. Um, and so he got off the hook. But there was, like, implications that he was involved. And he had, like, a huge criminal empire based around bootlegging at this mm. time. Because it was a huge business and he was also dealing drugs and he was kind of like one of America's first like really big gangsters. Interesting. And it was it's it's really kind of I read just a little bit about his life and like when he died, like kind of his empire was like sort of divided up Hmm. with like these other like gangster people. But he kind of like was one of the first people who really like developed organized crime in the United States. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. That's <laughs> that's kind of I, I wondered when it, it mentioned the World Series thing in the book. Yeah, because I thought that was so specific. I'm like, I wonder if this is like not a real person, but mm-hmm. based on one. And Fitzgerald has gotten some flack for like his like characterization of Jewish um, people. Yeah. In this book. And I don't think it was an intentional, especially because this character was based on a real person who was Jewish. Okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense then. So I think he was trying to be like, hey, it's this guy. Yeah. Um, And kind of overemphasizing the Jewishness. And 
not doing it tactfully at all. I mean, we don't use words that he used anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was like a hundred years ago. And I think he was just trying to portray like, oh, this is like this person. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that clears that up a little bit, at least for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Nick gets to meet this guy. He gets a weird sense between him, Wolf Shine and like, uh, Gatsby in terms of like they have some type of working relationship. Yeah. Also in the movie Wolfshine is just fucking weird. Oh he's so weird. <laughs> There's like so many weird like moments where like Wolfshine's just looking at Nick. He's and like ha ha <laughs> <laughs> Nick's looking back at him and it's like very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. kind of weird uh, but so they also run into Tom mm-hmm. at this uh, speakeasy in which Gatsby says hello and then fucks right off. Yeah. It's, so it's kind of this weird moment where like it's odd and Nick doesn't really know why that happens yet. But Nick has agreed at this point to Gatsby to meet Jordan because some thing is going on where Jordan, Jordan knows about it. Jordan knows about it from Gatsby, but Gatsby can't tell Nick. Jordan has to tell her and it has something to do with Daisy. He's like, Jesus Christ, just, just someone tell me, tell me what's happening. And Jordan, very high school. It is very high school. Like you pass the note to you who tells me if they said yes. Can you pass this note to Daisy and tell her to check yes or no? <laughs> so Nick talks to Jordan and Jordan is basically like, Listen, Gatsby told me his whole story. Like, this whole time he's been trying to get with Daisy. Like, everything, literally every decision that he's made in his entire life has been done so he can fuck Daisy. (laughs) (laughs) It's all been building to this. (laughs) He is that horny. (laughs) But she's basically like, yeah, he moved here. Because he knew she lived here. He's been throwing these parties because he was hoping that she would come because he didn't know how else to find her and like introduce himself because he's like super awkward and like doesn't want to come on too strong. So he just like bought a house and threw parties. Like, <laughs> I don't want to come on too strong. I'll just move like next door to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Right. Um, but she's basically like, he told me about his love for her. And I actually remember this because. Daisy and I grew up together and I remember that she was kind of courting this young officer back in the day, five years ago, you know, back in the day, five years ago, Um, (laughs) (laughs) and they were in love. And then, you know, he left for the war and she ended up marrying Tom and there was possibly some regret in there. So she was like, I know that he loves her and he wants you to invite Daisy over for tea so that he can, like, stop by. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most that is asked of Nick. Like, the the whole story, he's asked to invite Daisy over for tea and to attend a lunch. Like, those are, like, Nick's biggest contributions plot-wise to the story. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But Nick is like, yeah, sure, fine. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, So, in the scene um, leading up to... The meeting, uh, I did really love this in both versions, but like I think in the movie, for me, this was like getting into like the good chunk of the movie. Yeah, uh, the, the the part I enjoyed the most, but uh, I love it because you get to see a different side of Gatsby. Yes, where he's very like actually like shy and like awkward. Yeah, and he's super nervous about meeting Daisy, and even though it's gonna he's be so at, distracted. Yeah, even though it's gonna be at Nick's house, he like 
has flowers brought and like the tea brought and like mm-hmm. all this shit and like he just takes over Nick's house. Yeah. Which was very funny in the movie. Like the, the amount of flowers was very funny. Yeah. I feel like they really captured that awkwardness really well and DiCaprio does does a good job with this. He does. Um, And there's a, a part where Daisy comes and then like Gatsby is so embarrassed he like leaves <laughs> and then they go inside and Gatsby's not there and then he like comes back inside but he's drenched. <laughs> It's it's really good. I like how it plays out. It is. And I don't want to say this is like one of the first scenes in the movie, but it kind of feels that way. Like the movie feels so fast. Yeah. Up until this Jarring. point. Yeah. Like partying and going to this party and that and then being taken here. And more and Jay-Z. Fast cars. And I'm going to explain my past while we're driving super fast. And I'm going to talk about the 20s. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this was like the first moment where we got to like chill the fuck out for two seconds be with the characters for a bit exactly and like i kind of wish the movie just did this a little bit more in general yeah uh because i think it like was really effective like just let dicaprio be charming and awkward and uh toby mcguire can just hang around Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh but then daisy shows up and they kind of have their like awkward encounter at first yeah but then things kind of thaw out because Nick is like, I'm stepping outside yeah. and you two can deal with this. You two will be fine. <laughs> and they are. And I think it's clear that they both love each other still. Yeah. For different reasons, definitely. But like, I think Daisy, we're, you know, given hints throughout the movie and in the book that she wanted to marry Gatsby before, but then he w- was gone and then, you know, he didn't come back and he didn't have money. And so she ended up marrying Tom, but that she maybe like almost didn't marry Tom, like on her wedding day specifically or the night before had a lot of regrets and was like unsure about her choice. And then we know that she's unhappy now because of Tom's unfaithfulness and the life that she's leading. So I think she does see Gatsby as like her savior a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Gatsby, Gatsby has his whole other thing going on. We don't, we're not clued into it completely at this point. Yeah. Um, in terms of like what his infatuation with Daisy may be connected to. Um, but they are hitting it off and Gatsby's like, come up to my house. I'll show you around. Nick, you come too. And Nick's like, ah, Jesus. He's like, Nick, come too. I know you like to watch. <laughs> uh, so they go up to the house and like. Gatsby's just showing off how big it is and cool. And then he starts like throwing his shirts around. And we get this moment where it's both in the book and the movie. And in the book, um, Daisy like collapses into the pile of shirts that he's thrown around Mm -hmm. and starts crying. And she says, I've just never seen such beautiful shirts. Yeah. And it's such a weird moment. And in the book, I was just like, what? what is this? What is this? What is she? What's going on here? And like, I don't know. Like, I kind of figured something else was going on. But like, in terms of implying what else was happening in her head, like Nick doesn't even give any of his own thoughts. Like, oh, she seemed overwhelmed by the situation or she yeah. seemed like this or that. She just starts crying and says it's because the shirts are great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't I don't know. And this is something kind of like I wanted to talk about with this book in general, because I wanted to know at least the majority of like the ideas about it. Like I didn't want anything to like slip past me. Yeah. So I like watched a bunch of videos on it. 
Uh, and spoiler alert, this is about the American dream. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think the interesting thing about it is that on one hand, a lot of the metaphors of the book are very overt and heavy handed. Yeah, the symbolism is strong in many ways. Talking about the past and that idea of like trying to capture this ideal past and to make this ideal future as well as American dream. And so the concept of time is constantly being talked about and mentioned and symbolized. Yeah, and obviously the eyes of uh, Dr. Eckelberg. Uh, are described, literally described in the book as the eyes of God, like the overseeing, judgmental eyes of God. And so like things like that are like very overt. But then a lot of other things when I was watching these analysis videos, like so much is read into certain parts of the story. And I, I can't help but wonder like how much of this is intentional, how much of it is like people just reading into this story that has just kind of like it's popularity and reputation as being a classic have just grown so much that people are like, well, obviously everything means something. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing with literature and film too. Like you can kind of interpret away, you know, absolutely. You can make it what you want. Um, As for what the author originally intends, like we can, you know, hear what they have to say, but it does kind of go beyond the author sometimes um, in terms of what people get out of it. And it does, leave their hands in a way. Absolutely. So I, I do think there are themes that Fitzgerald really was trying to portray. And then there's others where I've, I've been watching and they're like, it's about like global warming and the environment like being destroyed. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think that was on their minds back then. And I don't think he wrote it with that intent. But if you see that in the book, like that's totally valid. Like we're looking at it through our eyes now. So like the things that strike us about the book might not be what, people were thinking when they read it in the actual 1920s. Yeah. And I have to say one of my biggest like annoyances with like examining books and movies is reading into color choices. Mm. Like, Oh my God. I like everything is a color. Okay. (laughs) Like, and you can just, it has to be, and you can just say something's a color. Like it doesn't actually have to be like, it's like, oh, did you notice his car is yellow and the hair of the girls at the party is yellow? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was reading a thing how yellow and, like, gold as as a color is so prominent and, like, important. Mm. But the most symbolic thing in the story, the green light is green. Yeah. I'm like, that seems to be the... Could m- be, like, green for money and then yellow for gold. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, like... Money. Green doesn't come up as much as yellow does, but they kind of both represent like reaching out first. And and so to a point, I'm just like, I don't kind of buy any of this, you know, yeah. you just say something's a color and it doesn't imply it has a connection to every other thing of that color in the story. Yeah. Uh, but that's just kind of like a bit of what I was kind of like reading about a lot, you know, it, uh, in, in regards to this story. So at this point in the story, when all this is happening between Gatsby and Daisy and they're reuniting, we get this interlude where Nick tells us about Gatsby's past. And this is a really kind of odd part of the story. And it stuck out to me a lot when I was reading the book. And it happens the same way in the movie where the narrator Nick is telling us this story from like an older age. Mm-hmm. And he's looking back and telling it to us. And so he specifically says in this part, like, I want to talk about Gatsby's past. I didn't know about it until way later. 
but I'm going to put it in the story now. Yeah, I I didn't know what to make of this. I didn't quite understand because like ultimately out of the things that made that were significant to Gatsby's past, this was a part of it. But like, I don't know. I just was like, why here and now? I think to just show the significance of what's going on with him and Daisy. Maybe. Before the end. Because Nick doesn't really learn all of this information until literally the end of the story. But putting it in here does give us more information about Gatsby's character and flesh that out a bit. I guess I found Gatsby and how he met Daisy and their early time together meant more to me than like this part even. Yeah. So that's why I was like, this part felt like less significant. So I didn't quite understand why putting this one forward. Yeah. Was the choice. Yeah. And we find out that like Gatsby grew up really poor um, and that his family, you know, was just super poor and had nothing and that he kind of just made himself what he is today. The idea of like the self-made man. Um, Yeah. And he kind of runs into this, like older playboy type yachting millionaire uh-huh. um, who he kind of just becomes his like manservant, I guess, <laughs> and yeah. yachts around the world with him. The part in the movie. Oh, my God. When he first rose up to this old man's yacht, the old man turns to him and he's like, I, I forget what exactly what he says. But he's like, what are you doing there? Old sport. Old, <laughs> old sport. sport. <laughs> it was so awkward and weird. It was so drag. It was like, it was given significance of like, in a that's pre- the origin story for yeah, old sport. Like in a prequel movie, like this is how Han Solo got his gun. Yeah. This is where Gatsby got old sport. <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking hilarious though i laughed so hard it was unintentionally very (laughs) funny yeah so he kind of like teams up with this older guy and gets a taste for that elegant lifestyle and decides to try to become that and then somewhere in there he meets daisy and she's kind of like the ideal for him Mm -hmm. like that she would represent the pinnacle of achievement of like living the life that he wants she represents everything about that life for him so We get a lot of this in the past leading up to what's going on now in the future with Gatsby and Daisy as they kind of begin this affair. Yeah. And and this is also kind of like countering something because Gatsby at one point said like his money came from rich relatives. Yeah. But he didn't even get the money from Cody Mm because Cody tried to leave him money, but then like he didn't get it because the family fought over it. So yeah, the, the question of how Gatsby became rich is still like up in the air Mm -hmm. uh so basically gatsby and daisy start seeing each other she starts kind of like sneaking over to his place and they basically start having an affair yeah gatsby tells nick around this time kind of his idea of like what he wants out of this and he says like he doesn't just want them to like run away together or live together now but he wants to like rewrite the past and pretend like the last five years have never happened yeah he wants specifically he wants daisy to tell tom that she never loved him yeah which is just like when you're reading it you're like what does that matter at all and nick is like what are you talking about like you're like she loves you like figure something out like even if you have to move yeah 
And Gatsby's like, I got all of this for her. You know, I'm not leaving. We're going to live in this house. We're going to go back to her parents' house to get married. Like, out of Louisville, like when she was a girl. And then, you know, we'll get married there. And she says she'll never love Tom. She never loved Tom. And then we can pretend that none of this ever happened. And I'm like, you know she has a kid, right? (laughs) And then we'll we'll go back in time and prevent Tom from ever being born. (laughs) And then we'll kill that kid. So, yeah, it's just like, it's very, we're starting to see the delusion here in Gatsby. Yeah. And that, like, he is not content to just have Daisy. He wants to, like go back in time and capture what he had lost in time. And it's really interesting because so Daisy's character is actually based on someone that Fitzgerald was in love with in his Mm. youth. Um, He was in love with this woman called uh, Ginevra King. Huh. And she was from the super wealthy family um, was this socialite was like super desirable. Like all these men wanted to be with her. She had like a million boyfriends. <laughs> um, and when, uh, Fitzgerald was in college, he met her, fell in love with her. And then they wrote these like really passionate letters to each other for a time. Steamy, steamy, steamy letters, very steamy. <laughs> um, and he was in love with her and wanted to be with her. And basically her dad was like, you are not good enough, mm-hmm. rich enough, or you don't come from like good enough family to be with her. And she ended up marrying someone else. And I think this person kind of haunted him a little bit. Yeah. Like he talked later about writing her into a lot of his stories. Yeah. So honestly, this poor woman, like oh. <laughs> she turns down the wrong, like artistic fuck boy. And then he <laughs> writes her into all of his content. <laughs> well, and that's, I think the interesting distinction there, though, between Fitzgerald's life and Gatsby's is that Gatsby determines for himself. Now, I mean, there's probably a realistic expectation that like because at the time when he meets her, he's in the army. Yeah. And so his lack of money isn't apparent like he's in he's in a military uniform. Yeah. And he kind of blends in. Uh, So maybe it was realistic to just assume her parents wouldn't let him marry her without more money, yeah. which drives his motivation. But also it does seem like this is his own motivation as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like clearly after his time with Cody, he wants this lifestyle. Like this is kind of something he's pursuing. Yeah. And so his choice to not want to be with Daisy until he makes more money does seem like self-driven too to an extent yeah and i don't know did he just want daisy to wait for him this whole time like what was his idea yeah i mean he did go to war i guess i don't yeah and then when he came back she had met tom already yeah yeah married and they and they had married yeah which by the way in the movie when it does these like war flashbacks i'm oh, doing yeah. air quotes it's just like dicaprio in a world war one outfit in front of a green screen <laughs> and like nothing else like no. there's not even other soldiers no like i can one just man army see baz Luhrmann like yelling directions like now turn around you're scared okay now jump over the trench like all right point your gun <laughs> <laughs> bam bam you're fighting <laughs> i was like man they really saved the budget on the uh the war flashbacks <laughs> it's all for the parties mm-hmm Yeah, so Gatsby has this plan, and it all kind of comes out on this one memorable day when it's very hot outside. It's hot, hot, hot. Yes. And this is once again where they're like, Nick, we need your help. 
for some reason, we need you to come to this lunch with us. <laughs> we're going to tell Tom that... To his stupid face. We're, we're cheating on him and that Daisy's going to leave him and we need you to be there. You need to back us up. I would have been like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you even having this lunch? I'm not going to be there. Yeah. You sort out your own drama. Like, why would I need to be there? What could I possibly add to this conversation? <laughs> but Nick goes. Yeah. And... Things just start off super tense. Like immediately Tom is suspicious clued into the fact that like there's something going on between Gatsby and Daisy and things are so just like hot and uncomfortable at their house. They're huge like mansion with tons of windows. Yeah. By the sea. By the ocean. And they're like, let's go into the hot, dirty city <laughs> and get. With like very tall skyscrapers, very close together. Yeah. And let's get a hotel room that's way smaller. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why would anyone do this? But they all decide to do this. Not only do they all decide to just go into the city for no reason. They're also like, Tom's like, hey, let's switch cars. For no reason. No reason. None. And, um, it, and it's so because like the mo- the book is given so much like um, acclaim for it's like what it all means and it's symbolism and what it's about this and that. And I'm like, can we just like acknowledge, though, that like parts of the plot are extremely contrived. It's very thin here. Yeah, it gets very like it's funny because when we were outlining, like for the most part, it's just like big scene, big chunk, big scene. We don't have to talk much about like what's going on. But then like at this point, it's like, okay, now we have to start mentioning a lot of. It's very focused on details. Yeah. Because like this detail leads to this detail and this lead. And it's like a web that forms Uh like the action at the end. It's like setting up all these dominoes for kind of this very specific outcome of events to happen. Yeah. For maximum drama and sadness. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) this is like the biggest thing about the story in general that for me is like this is kind of a glaring hole yeah it doesn't quite work with me like the whole going to the city doesn't really make sense no and then the switching cars is like also like out of nowhere (laughs) it's so dumb because like Tom, for some reason, is like racing Gatsby there yeah but I'm like he's in Gatsby's car so even if he wins He's winning with Gatsby's car. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what does he gain? I know. It's weird. <laughs> but they get to this hotel room, and I think probably immediately regret the decision. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just so hot. Uh, but this is another part of the story where it's like a scene. Yeah. Where it's like, even though the whole setup of it is ridiculous, it's like, okay, we've got these characters together. They're hanging out. And um, Tom... Uh, it's finally like, yeah, you're, you're banging. I know it. (laughs) He's like, I know you're banging as he's like stabbing a block of ice (laughs) with an ice pick. And this is where kind of like shit finally hits the fan. Mm -hmm. And Gatsby is like, she never loved you. She loves me. She's leaving you, et cetera. And Tom's like, bullshit. She absolutely did love me and does love me and she's not leaving me. And I can tell you more about like how you're a piece of shit and actually your money isn't from drugstores. It's from alcohol because you're a bootlegger. Yeah. And, you know, this is where Tom, because Tom, I think, had been suspicious of Gatsby and had like done like some investigating. Yeah. And just kind of found out like he's involved in all this shady shit with uh, Wolfshine. Yeah. And I, I get it. 
But to me, I also kind of wish Gatsby's like how Gatsby made his money had remained a mystery. A mystery. Yeah. Because once you like kind of and I mean, that is also part of the story, though, is like finding these things out, like takes the romanticism out of them. Yeah. Because it makes that comparison, too, with like once Gatsby has Daisy in a way, the green light has lost its like prominence and symbolism and like meaning. Yeah. And so in a way, like finding out how Gatsby made the money takes the romanticism out of him. Yeah, I agree. I just talked myself out of my own point (laughs) in real time. (laughs) And you're like, wow, that makes sense. The author did that probably on purpose. Damn, I'm Um, falling into the trap. I did want to talk about a part in the book that I felt like was really good, where they were talking about just what you were saying, the romanticism being taken out of things with the Mm -hmm. reality. And I'm specifically talking about Daisy here. So this is Nick talking, and this is when Daisy and Gatsby have met for the first time, and they're like finally coming together. As I went over to say goodbye, I saw that the expression of bewilderment had come back into Gatsby's face, as though a faint doubt had occurred to him as to the quality of his present happiness. Almost five years. There must have been moments, even that afternoon, when Daisy tumbled short of his dreams, not through her own fault, but because of the colossal vitality of his illusion." It had gone beyond her, beyond everything. He had thrown himself into it with a creative passion, adding to it all the time, decking it out with every bright feather that drifted his way. No amount of fire or freshness can challenge what a man will store up in his ghostly heart. And I feel Mm. like that's so, it's so poignant. Like it is so real about what Gatsby has made Daisy into in his mind. Yeah. Like she's not a person. She's a symbol. Yeah. And... He when even when he's with her, he's like, wait, this isn't quite what I imagined because I've imagined it so much. And I feel like Fitzgerald is basically dismantling the Manic Pixie Dream Girl before our eyes, before the Manic Pixie Dream Girl (laughs) was even a thing. But I really like it because I feel like it's so real. And Daisy's character in this scene really has no agency. Like Tom is saying like, oh, she did love me. Gatsby is saying she never loved you. She loves me. And Daisy's saying basically nothing. Yeah, I I do. Yeah, this scene does work really well, too, in terms of like Tom and Gatsby really start going at it. Yeah. The movie adds this crazy moment where like DiCaprio just like, yeah, he's like going to punch Tom, but then he doesn't. Uh which the book is just like he glares at him and everyone's like, (gasps) (laughs) he glares. Oh my God. Um, But it really shows that like Gatsby doesn't really have any moral high ground in the situation. And that like he and Tom are just playing tug of war over Daisy, who in a way like has very limited options. Yeah. And whereas maybe Gatsby seemed like he really did love her. It's, I think, becoming more clear that he's just in love with this idea mm-hmm. and this past and future combination that he wants to achieve. And she's just part of that for him. You know, it's not that she's a person. And I really feel like the book and some in the movie, too, they emphasize this. Um, and I feel like uh, Carrie Mulligan is really good in this role. She is very good. As Daisy, because she seems really scared and she seems really just beaten down. Yeah. And that she doesn't feel like she can make a choice for herself. And so her decision to ultimately stay with Tom is not very surprising, considering that I think Gatsby disappointed her. Yeah. And I mean, what is she like w- willing to give up to go with this man who like 
she doesn't really know. Yeah. Like in those five years, like, oh shit, he was a bootlegger and doing all this illegal shit and he's still doing it. And like, you know, I do like at one point, I think it's a line from the movie. I don't remember it from the book, but like, uh, Tom tells Gatsby he's, um, uh, he's not a respectable man. And Gatsby tells Tom, like, your money be, or he, he didn't make his money respectably. And Gatsby tells Tom, your money is the only respectable thing about you. Yeah. And I love that contrast mm-hmm. that Tom, like, got his money in kind of the, like. Traditional way. Yeah. Um, but he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, whereas Gatsby, like, did a lot of, you know, criminal things to get his money, but, like, ultimately is at least from what we've seen, like much more of a, a gentleman mm-hmm. at least and much more respectable in a lot of ways than Tom. Yeah. Um, so I did like that um, call out in the movie um, to that quality. Yeah. But they get in this huge fight. Nick is just Nick and uh, Jordan. Jordan are just like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> why did we do this? Why did we come along? Why are we here? Uh, they then, all leave. Yeah. Uh, Daisy and Gatsby leave first. In Gatsby's car, mm-hmm. and then followed by Tom, Jordan, and Nick. When they get back to the Valley of the Ashes, uh, one of the things that's like a, a a very crucial plot point in this whole thing is that on their way there, Tom stopped for gas yeah. in Gatsby's yellow car. Mm-hmm. So, and they saw uh, George Wilson and, and his wife Myrtle. Yeah, and Myrtle. So, like Tom was seen in the yellow car. Yeah. Now. Uh, They've switched back to the normal cars, and uh, this is when, from Nick's perspective, they get there, and they find Myrtle's been run over uh, in the street and killed. We get this really dumb slow motion uh, Gatsby's (laughs) car hitting her in the movie, where she's just, like, thrown up in the air and is like, ah! And then right in front of the eyes of the billboard, and he's like, I'm watching you! (laughs) It's actually way more subtle in the book because um, we don't really exactly know what happens right away and we have to kind of yeah. piece it together. But yeah, they basically realized that Gatsby's car ran over Myrtle. Um, George Wilson, her husband, was suspicious that she was having an affair and had her like locked up in his house. And so then she was like afraid and was trying to run away from him, ran into the street, saw the yellow car, saw earlier that Tom had been in it. So was trying to like run towards Tom and Daisy and Gatsby are in the car and they just run her the fuck over. So she's dead. I know, which it's like, even if Tom had been driving, clearly they couldn't see this woman. I know. I'm like, would Tom have even been able to stop? Like, I know. And the fact that like she got out of the house before seeing the car or could see the car and then escaped. And I, I don't know. This goes back to like the whole thing being so like. Yeah. Contrived and like what is even happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially when they see what happened and they hear that it was a yellow car, they piece together. Oh, shit. Gatsby hit her with his car and then they didn't stop and they left. Yeah. And in the movie, uh, Tom tells George like right away that like, hey, yeah, this was Gatsby's car. It's mm-hmm. this man Gatsby. You want me to write down the address? Like, yeah. he's <laughs> he's very like, mm, someone should like pay for that. Like, man, men can't do that. Like, they shouldn't be able to get no. away with that. Off topic. Do you own a gun? <laughs> <laughs> I also heard he was a bootlegger. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Whoops. I dropped his address. <laughs> <laughs> we actually in the book don't find out until much later. Actually, the end of the book that Tom 
told this information to George Wilson. Yeah. So Nick and everyone gets back to the house where they can see Daisy's home. And Nick is waiting for a taxi when he finds Gatsby just creeping out in the bushes. Yeah. And he's like, I'm making sure that Daisy is safe. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? What are you going to do? Like, yeah. How would you know? <laughs> How would you know? What would you do to help her? You know, what, what is the situation? But we do get a reveal here that Daisy was the one that was driving. Which I do like. As, I really as a like twist. this. Yes. Uh, it's it, perfect. And it makes a lot of sense. Although the movie makes it seem like that Gatsby didn't want to be stay there because he didn't want her getting in trouble uh in the movie in the book it made it sound like daisy just kept going yeah she just kept driving (laughs) and gatsby's like whoa (laughs) (laughs) but yeah daisy was upset and couldn't stop and there was another car coming in the opposite direction so she didn't feel like she could swerve and then was just so freaked out that she drove away and i feel like this is so clear too as like the character of Daisy in another way where she doesn't really have to deal with consequences ever in her life for anything. Yeah. And so Gatsby kind of taking the fall for her here is like something that she doesn't even like really remark on. And we don't get any of her perspective or thoughts on what she might be feeling about it. Like Gatsby basically is like, no one can know that she was driving. I want to protect her. And then Daisy never has to deal with the emotional fallout of any of this. And in fact, she disappears essentially from this part of the story onward. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just this idea that like these rich, like moneyed um, old families can do what they want without any consequences and that they don't really care about the people that they hurt along the way. Yeah. Uh, So... Nick, after finding out this information, is suddenly like, oh, wait, Gatsby's cool again. Yeah. So they hang out at his place. And this is where he finds out the rest of uh, Gatsby's history, like with Daisy, how he met her. Uh, I, I don't think it's anything we haven't mentioned yet, really, just that. That idealism. Yeah, he was in the army when he met her. And so it was like this rare chance to potentially be with a woman who's like much higher status than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I did find interesting in the book is that like. When he first meets her, it's at her house, which is very extravagant and beautiful. And he's yeah. like as enamored with the house as he is with her, mm-hmm. kind of creating that idea is like, does he love her or her What money? she represents. Yeah. yeah. So I did like that aspect as well. The movie definitely is just like much more romanticizing of it. Yeah. That he like truly loved her and no one else. Um, and so Nick is like, you know what, Gatsby? You're pretty cool. I like you. I like you. And those are the last things he has to say to Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, Nick is like, well, I have to go to work now. Sure hope nothing bad happens while I'm gone. Um, He's and- like, I haven't been to work in like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and Gatsby is hoping that Daisy will call and so they can figure out how they can move on together. In the movie, there's this whole setup where he is just like literally has the phone brought down to the pool and he's waiting for her to call. And of course, this is when George Wilson, who has been tipped off by Tom at some point about who hit his wife and where he lives, shows up with a gun and he kills Gatsby. Yeah, I do love the symbolism of the pool, too, because like 
Gatsby had mentioned, like, I haven't swam in this pool all year and it's like fall. So yeah. I'm going to swim in this pool. And like, yeah. just kind of like that excess that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I love it as a Breaking Bad fan. Because yeah. if you like Breaking Bad, you know that like the pool is very symbolic in that. And like no one ever swims in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a reference to the Great Gatsby. Perhaps. Uh, but I really like that symbolic choice in that moment. And so, but in the movie, um, Gatsby's getting out of the pool because the butler answers the phone and says, oh, yes, he's right here. He'll be very happy you called. Yeah. And of course, Gatsby thinks it's Daisy. He's shot. And then we find out it was was actually Nick Nick calling. Yeah. And all I could think about is what a dick that butler is. I know. Being like, oh, yeah. he, He knew exactly who Gatsby was waiting on the phone for. And he answers. He's like, oh, yes. He'll be so happy you called. Gatsby, a very special someone is on the phone for you. I think you'll be most pleased to find out who it is. <laughs> I'm like, what a what a Maybe setup. he ships them too. Maybe. Oh, the butler just really wants them to be together. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> uh, tragedy strikes, though. Gatsby's dead. And then uh, George Wilson kills himself, which is also tragic. Very sad. And then there's this whole wrap up where Nick is the only one that's basically sad over Gatsby dying. Like none of the people that he invited to his parties, none of his business partners, not even Daisy, Jordan or Tom uh, are around or come to his funeral. Yeah. And it's kind of this just like sad realization of how people just took advantage of him for his money. Yeah. And didn't really know him as a person. Um yeah, in the yeah. in the book, his dad comes back from like wh- wherever in the West that his family is from, and but that's like the only person. It's just him and Nick, and in the movie, it's just Nick, and I do think this is like kind of showing this like he talks about carelessness. He talks about Tom and Daisy having being careless people, not caring who they hurt, and also this like shallowness. And feeling like people don't really care about each other and that it's all like superficial, shallow, partying, money, Mm -hmm. um, just like wanting to be there for the fun and not really caring about the people. Yeah, it is kind of, I don't know, this is where it's hard to separate like what the book is saying versus like what Nick as a narrator is saying. Yeah. Because I do feel bad for Daisy. Like Daisy never had a good choice. No. And... Yeah, okay, she ran over someone with her car and then kept driving, but, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I don't know. You She's s- going through a lot. <laughs> no, I think, I think that Daisy's a super nuanced character, because on the one hand, you can be, like, she had no choice. She had no agency. She has, like, the people in her life that are supposed to love her only value her for being, like, a symbol or a status. Yeah. Um, including her husband. Um, But on the other hand, she's very spoiled, very selfish, very self-absorbed. She's used to getting what she wants all the time and not ever having to face any consequences. She's probably a really bad mom also. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I just picture one of the scenes where they're hanging out at the house. She's just like sitting on the child and doesn't realize it. That's like a comic from like that one uh, artist. Oh my God. So something about that made me. Parka Vagrant. That's right. I was like. Something made me think that wasn't my own joke or yes. idea. Okay. Yeah. But I couldn't remember where I had like heard of it or thought of it. I thought it was something I had thought of like when I first saw this movie years ago, but 
<laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> so I do think, I, I think there are really like parts of her character that you can sympathize with her and other parts where you can criticize her. Absolutely. And the same goes for Gatsby too. I think Gatsby's yeah. a really great character. I love that he's seen as being like this super interesting kind of suave person, but he's also like awkward and kind of like human in a lot of ways. Yeah. But flawed in his motives, but also like his intentions are kind of pure admirably idealistic in a lot of ways yeah uh you can read into it many different ways i mean that's i think one of the biggest things about the book that's appealed to so many people yeah uh if only nick as a character didn't suck so much (laughs) yeah exactly but essentially yeah the the movie gives us one more closing scene where (laughs) nick is finishing his Gatsby manuscript yes. called Gatsby until in a moment of, of inspiration, genius. he writes the great before in it. pen in pen. Like uh, it's already typed. And then he like has to write it in pen after it was, I was not happy with this. <laughs> this was like along with the scenes where he's typing on the typewriter and the letters are like coming out towards you. I uh, was like, Ugh. it just seems like such a fuck boy. Yeah, I do want to read the end of the book because I think it's some really brilliant writing and it's one of the most, I think, iconic endings in like literature. So I'm just going to read the last paragraph here. Uh, Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning, so we beat on. Boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. And I love that idea of like the American dream being like unattainable Mm -hmm. because it is like in the past and it's just like something that we can't reach. But people are so bent on believing that you can. Yeah. And this book, actually, one of Fitzgerald's original titles for this book, the one that he kind of wanted, but it was like sort of too late to change it was going to be called Under the Red, White, and Blue. Oh, wow. That would have been very... <laughs> oh, I'm glad he changed it. But it, it is very symbolic. Like, he wanted it to be obvious that he's talking about, like, life in America and this idea of the American dream. And it's interesting to note that when this book came out, it actually didn't do very well. Mm, really? It was like, okay, some copies were sold, um, they did a second printing, but the second printing didn't completely sell out. Mm. And in fact, when Fitzgerald died um, in the 40s, um, there were still leftover copies that hadn't sold. Wow. And it wasn't until like after World War II that Gatsby became popular. Oh, okay. And that uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald kind of rose back into prominence. I mean, you could probably look back and really see like how thoughtful it was about that time period like we were saying yeah it might have been hard to appreciate at the time yeah yeah and i think he does really capture this time and the farther away you go from it the more you want to like read about that time to remember what it was like and to see that perspective but yeah it really didn't kick off until like the 50s and then into like the 60s and 70s it started getting put into classrooms and that's where it started to become like the book that everyone has to read in high school Mm. and that's where that like whole uh great american novel idea really started to generate okay yeah so that's it yeah we did it um yeah so we kind of actually stopped talking about the movie near the end which like 
it's funny because like I kept thinking about all the things I wanted to talk about with the movie yeah. uh, early on, but definitely the book I think comes through more, uh, especially as you, as you go on. The movie does try to create some of that contrast I talked about earlier with like, he goes to Gatsby's house after he dies yeah, and it's like gloomy and shitty. But like at that point it's like, I don't know. It's still super stylistic yeah, with like, how gloomy it is and like the writing and Tobey Maguire's dumb face and the CGI green light and the CGI green light. Uh, so yeah, it still doesn't quite hit home for me. And which I guess leads me into, I think the book was better. I do too. I really appreciate the writing in this book. Yeah. Like I think Fitzgerald has a really great use of language. Like he is not overly wordy, but Mm -hmm. his words have meaning. And this is like one of the most quotable books that I've ever read. Yeah. Like I feel like anything in it is just like so interesting and you could kind of like break it down and like think about it. Not like all of it. And some of it I would disagreed with definitely. And I was like, I don't think it does it this very well or I don't like this aspect of it. But I, in terms of like the story and the writing and I just, I just really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've actually I feel like I'm in I've like looking back when I finished it, I was like, yeah, there were things about it that were interesting. But like sitting here discussing it, like makes me think back on it more fondly in terms of like what I got from it and what I enjoyed about it, Mm -hmm. which I mean, I think lends itself once again to being like a school book. You know, that discussion is like very kind of crucial, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think the movie is really bad. I think it makes some poor choices in terms of like style, effects, CGI, um, that type of thing. I think the performances are good. I really like the casting in this movie for I do the most too. part. The casting's very good. Um, and I think there are moments and scenes that feel really well played out and interesting. But yeah, I just feel like it goes over the top and it veers so wildly in cer- certain directions in terms of the yeah. CGI and filming. I also think it uncomplicates the story a lot. Like, yeah. I feel like Gatsby is like very clearly just like a romantic. Yeah. And kind of uncomplicates him a little bit. Same with Nick. Um, I heard Tobey Maguire in an interview talking about Nick as a character just saying he's like an honest Midwestern kid. Yeah. And you know what I mean? That kind of like... um questionability of Nick that you get reading it and like yeah. I don't know how I feel about this dude mm-hmm. kind of is lost in the story and, I agree in the movie or yeah yeah in the movie specifically so uh, I do think the m- movie dilutes some of the messaging as well yeah so it's got to be book it's book let's do lightning let's round. do a lightning all right so first up for lightning round I do want to mention because I didn't have a chance in the episode to talk about Zelda Fitzgerald um, F Scott's wife who was also super rich and wealthy um, came from a really like well-to-do southern family and cause, so her character is sort of like Daisy's character is sort of mm. based on Zelda and this other woman that Fitzgerald was in love with in his youth um, but uh, Fitzgerald would often use Uh, his wife Zelda's diaries as material for his novels. Oh my God. Yeah. He would read her shit all the time, put it in his stories, have like direct quotes from her diary appear in um, the book. So like one direct quote is something that Zelda said when she had their child, which is, I hope she's a fool. That's holy shit. Yeah. That's what she said when she like, 
came out of like the anesthesia from like having the baby. Oh my God. Yeah. But like he regularly like stole her shit and like put it in books to make money like all the time. And then like later on in their life when they were very unhappy and like, you know, the effects of the alcohol on them were becoming apparent. Zelda actually wrote a book Mm. and based it a lot on their lives and he was like so mad at her because he was like, this is my shit to steal. You can't use it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So classic, super healthy relationship right wow. there. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you gave the credit to Zelda on some of those lines because I'm sure. I mean, that's one of the most famous lines from the book. So I imagine yep. there were probably other ones as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I wanted to mention briefly that we didn't really get to talk about. And that's the music. Yeah. In the movie, which is very uh good (laughs) it is good it is good um it's just it it is so the idea behind it was jay-z was a producer of Mm -hmm. the music on it along with like uh the more classic composer of the score and part of baz lerman's idea was that like to recapture the uh the feeling of this era and how cool it was was to incorporate like currently cool music into it yeah and baz Luhrmann does this a lot in his movies yeah romeo and juliet mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. so uh jay-z uh worked on it some of his music was in it lana del rey has young and beautiful in it which is an amazing song yes uh i, I said questionably it's good because at some point it's like overly silly maybe yeah like when you see toby mcguire in his straw hat and yeah. like jay-z's pumping and like- yeah, you're like mm. <laughs> uh yeah so but i did think that was like uh an interesting thought and like approach to take with this movie to kind of like make it less silly in a way and make it more like yeah i get why people were excited about this yeah they were partying they were having a good time yeah yeah Uh, So I do want to read this little bit in the book about Gatsby's car because I just don't understand it. (laughs) So this is um, Nick talking about Gatsby's car. I'd seen it. Everyone had seen it. It was a rich cream color, bright with nickel, swollen here and there in its monstrous length with triumphant hat boxes and supper boxes and toolboxes and terraced with a labyrinth of windshields that mirrored a dozen suns. Sitting down behind many layers of glass in a sort of green leather conservatory, we started to town. I'm like, what are you saying? Okay, first of all, it's definitely about his dick. (laughs) (laughs) It's super long. It's cream color. It bulges. It's bulging in many different (laughs) ways. I just, what is the, what are the many, like the labyrinth of like glass mirror? Like, I don't understand. Oh yeah, it's super weird. Like many windshields. (laughs) I'm like, how many windshields do you need? (laughs) How many windshields does his dick have? (laughs) Uh, So something else I wanted to, to, um, bring up is that we we mentioned it before to an extent but like nick's character is definitely seen as like poorer and more out of his element in the movie yeah and at one point at gatsby's first party he's hanging out with jordan and talking to her but there's also this other guy and he like keeps trying to take jordan away and at one point he says i'm stealing her away caraway rich girls don't marry poor boys yeah (laughs) it's like we're what? just hanging out at a party, man. Also, uh, 
Toby Maguire keeps trying to grab a drink from a waiter and they keep getting taken, which some people think is an allusion to Spider-Man 2. Because <laughs> there is a scene where that oh, keeps yeah. happening. But it does have that vibe, too, of like, Peter yeah. Parker, you suck and you're poor and we hate you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but it's also worth mentioning because like the whole Jordan and Nick subplot definitely just gets like like swept under the rug by the end of the movie. Yeah. I do think I read that they filmed some stuff about them falling through at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately it's just like, eh, does anyone really care about this? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so that's the end of lightning round. And that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Christine again, our wonderful patron for requesting this episode. Um, as many of you probably know, um, our patrons who support us over on Patreon, get um first requests for any episodes that we might do um we do have like a list that we keep about um requests that patrons have made and we try to get them in as quickly as possible we we ask that everyone make suggestions because we're Mm -hmm. always open to hearing new ideas for episodes but um we do prioritize the requests from patrons just because they support us and they're wonderful people yes and our patrons will also be getting a bonus episode on the 1970s Great Gatsby adaptation starring Robert Redford. Yes. Which many people say is very boring. So we'll see. <laughs> but our episode will not be. <laughs> yes. You can count on us to not be boring. So uh, if you want to listen to that episode and become a patron and supporter of the podcast, find us on Patreon. You can also uh, leave us a rating, a star rating on Apple Podcasts, which is also very helpful. Mm-hmm. You can email us at coveredcreditspod at gmail.com. We are uh, at Covered Credits uh, on Twitter and Covered Credits Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Find us, follow us. We're out there. Engage with us. <laughs> Tell us what you thought of Great Gatsby and Baz Luhrmann's adaptation. Give us your hot takes on the jazz age. <laughs> <laughs> How bisexual was Nick Carraway? Yes, we want to know. <laughs> Between very and a lot. <laughs> you can kind of interpret what you want out of this book, so... Yeah, go for it. That's what I'm taking away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.